You may be busy doing something while you listen to this podcast, but you're never too busy to eat healthy if you eat Vite Ramen. This podcast is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Show support for a sponsor that supports Moore's Law is Dead at the link in the description. And if you do, make sure you use offer code BROKENSILICON. And you can also support Moore's Law is Dead if you need Windows keys or software at cdkeyoffer.com. If you go there, also use the code BROKENSILICON for 25% off Windows keys or Die Shrink for 3% off everything else on the website. All right, now let's get on with the show. Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Enfeebled Tom, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Minor Audio Issues Dan. Well, so this is a thing that we've noticed. Um, We tend to use a PS5 controller for some of the games we play on PC, and for some reason it sounded okay-ish to me, but you were testing your mic, and you're like, why does this sound so terrible? And then I just went... Is the PS5 controller plugged in? Because for some reason, Windows always defaults to using that mic anytime you plug it in, or yeah. almost anytime. Don't know why I didn't think about that, but I'll give it to Sony. Uh, better audio quality than I would expect from a controller microphone. Because it, it didn't sound like terrible. I was like, I don't know, kind of sounds okay to me. And then you switched mics, and I was like, oh, okay, well, that does sound better, though. Yeah, uh, I, I'm, I'm glad I didn't accidentally record a podcast on a phone mic or basically or we would be getting a a repeat of the first episodes of this show with uh with audio quality yeah they said you sounded like they sounded like we usually sounded either like we were in a shoebox or a hotel room Mm -hmm. (laughs) you probably would have been the hotel room now the reason i said enfeebled tom is i've got this cane uh Mm -hmm. right here because you know i'd say this happens a couple times a year i don't know if i just put on shoes with bad support sometimes wear them weird or what but i just throw out one of my feet and so i guess my foot uh not i guess i know my foot hurt a lot last night i had to put an ice pack on it and then finally i could fall asleep again <laughs> and it <laughs> nice. is getting better though what sucks is um me and my girlfriend and a couple family members of ours are going on a trip and we're going to go we we're planning to go hiking over the weekend and so i've basically been forcing myself to do as little movement as possible today so that hopefully this heals up yeah before saturday (laughs) or sunday which i don't know this hurts more than usual but it already feels crazy better than before so i'm hopeful that soon i will be one like one of you young kids with working feet Mm, i guess that's ideal I don't know what I do. I just must walk like an ogre on concrete sometimes and just destroy <laughs> my arch or something. Just like, I don't, and I just happens out of nowhere. Um, I, funny story. I actually got this cane on a trip with a friend to San Francisco when I did it there. And then we went to Chinatown and bought this for like 10 bucks Hell yeah. and it's still going strong to this day. And we, they, at that point, because our friend Lou was helping me around San Francisco, everyone definitely thought we were some cute couple on a vacation or something, because <laughs> he was just always helping me around with my cane. 
they're just like, oh, isn't it cute? He's helping him. But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, the reason, you know, I brought the vacation this weekend for me, this episode will be coming out like three or four days early, uh, as already discussed on the die shrink that patrons got access to. Um, because we, we just felt we were going to try to like record a shorter episode while I'm on vacation. And then it occurred to me, especially after talking to some sources, pretty much all the information we'll need for this episode will be done Thursday night. And wouldn't it be better to just put this out early mm. than to rush it out? next week and then we got nvidia's earnings next week 7600 launches 4060 ti launches and i think there was something else too so we're gonna be slammed with news next week anyways and most of the news we'll be discussing this week will become obsolete after a day of that podcast being out so we thought let's put out the tim episode early let's put out the die shrink for patrons early yesterday which you get access to if you support us right now Let's put this out early and then we can just focus on videos next week. And so, well, let's stop giving Gerard more work than he needs editing this and get on with the episode with corrections. The first correction comes in from Samantha Vimes, who says, in response to the Nothing Burger assertion on Broken Silicon 204 regarding the SOC issues on AM5, I feel looking at this as an issue with the individual failures of CPUs kind of misses the larger story here. That Asus and Gigabytes both implemented an easy overclocking feature that was backed up by poor monitoring, fluctuating voltages, and faulty safety features. Buildzoid even demonstrated that Gigabyte boards would straight up just override user input values for voltages. I've seen this before on motherboards. And will sometimes fail to hold the correct value for voltage even when set. I think that's something, even if it's not a top headline, I think it's important to talk about the state of the motherboard industry, therefore, as a whole, the quality of BIOSes from supposedly respectable brands and the reliability and accuracy of their sensors, too. They're garbage and ironically seem to be less reliable as you go up the product stack, according to some reviewers. Moreover, the way Asus has been handling the situation is especially outrageous and anti-consumer. There's absolutely refusing to take responsibility, avoiding warranties, rather than supporting their customers who bought into ecosystems expecting quality support and products. Meanwhile, people like myself are sitting here with expensive ROG Strix boards. I wanted to even turn my system on because even with Expo, my VSOC hits 1.48 volts. Jeez. On desktop for no reason, because the only alternative seems to be installing a BIOS that will void my warranty. There's a lot more meat on the bone with this story than just a few CPUs dying, in my opinion, even if it is just a few. I can't help but wonder how many people that don't follow tech news or never think to check sensors, let alone understand which values would be alarming by a lifetime of their components foreshortened by poor Expo implementations. So, yeah, it's funny. I realized, I did re-listen to our part of our, well, no, the whole conversation uh, from Broken Silicon 204 about the, you know, Zen 4 burn CPU burn issues. Mm-hmm. And I realized when we were recording it, and I re-listened to make sure I don't misremember it, that when I said nothing burger, people were going to lot latch on to that phrase, despite me saying before that it is an issue and it's almost a nothing burger uh when it comes to blaming AMD and AM5 itself. But you know, I did I do think I put my foot in my mouth a little bit because while I said that in the beginning, later on in the conversation, I say nothing burger again. But guys, this was through the lens that 
I thought the outrage directed at AMD was weird when it seemed clearly like Asus was the culprit. And by the way, guys, I noticed, surprise, a couple days after we put out that episode, Gamers Nexus and other people put out more videos damning what Asus said. (laughs) (laughs) And all of a sudden, all the negative comments melted away as people realized, I think over time, my point was Asus seems to be the bad guy here. Um, But certainly, if you would have clipped the later a later part of what I said out without any context, it could have sounded like I was saying it was nothing. And that was dumb of me to say that at all. I will say, although again, I do resent a little bit people latching onto a phrase, nothing burger. When I said almost nothing burger with regards to what AMD's done here, because whenever I see stuff like this from AMD, Nvidia, I just can't help but go, are we sure it's NVIDIA's fault, AMD's fault, Intel's fault, and not a motherboard maker or something, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, that that's the problem is partners a lot of the times are the people are the people that end up doing stupid crap with their products, and that makes AMD at the end look the most bad because AMD or NVIDIA or whichever brand is working with those partners, I mean, company is working with those partners, like their name is the most associated with it. So their, their reputation will be probably more damaged than like Asus, for example. And I think, you know, uh, people that are putting out content about the tech space probably need to be diligent about, you know, saying who is the most to blame more explicitly. Because am I wrong? I felt like even some of the videos that called out the motherboard makers mostly, and then, did these insane thumbnails like telling Asus to go F themselves later almost attacked AMD a little bit because they felt like they had to, even though they weren't the ones doing this. There's the argument that maybe AMD needs to have more oversight with what their partners are doing with their They should certainly try to after this, I would argue. I mean, Asus probably needs to have a... especially probably needs to have somebody uh, going and checking on what they're doing more so than any other company, because I I, I mean, like what Samantha said in uh, her response here, her CPU is hitting 1.8, 1.5 volts almost. On a uh, five nanometer chip, which is crazy. Yeah. When she specifically has it set to not do that, which is insane and shouldn't happen, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, And, some companies might need more oversight than others because they're to get some like minor win in performance. They'll, you know, uh, skirt what they 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 should be doing and secretly enabling features uh, without telling the end user that those features are being enabled. Uh, especially when you have features that are f- frankly irresponsible and shouldn't really even be allowed. Which is why I, I think the band aid they put on it was what limiting it to one point was it one point three five or one point three I don't remember, but yeah, it it seemed like a quick fix, not a long term solution that not an acceptable long term solution. Yeah, uh, but hard limits might need to be put on it uh, on some boards for certain manufacturers if this is how they're going to play, you know? Yes. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And so I don't know, I guess, you know, there were a few corrections I'll saying I thought Samantha wrote this up very well. So I chose this one to address this. But I don't know. Look, guys, if you think I was blaming users for the CPU burn issues or saying that when CPUs fail, it means nothing. 
That's not what I was saying. Although I certainly should have said it better than I think I did. Mm -hmm. I just think I looked aggressive because I was sick of everyone in the comments saying, I'll never buy an AM5 motherboard again, even though it wasn't the AM5 motherboard fault. It was mostly Asus, some gigabyte. Like that was the issue. And when I, and I will say this though, I have followed up on this with some of my contacts and they say the amount of returns is still normal, expected to be normal, but that a lot of retailers are mad at Asus and now they're openly recommending like in a micro center, for example, to not buy Asus motherboards. And what's interesting is I am told that the reliability for Ryzen 7000 is apparently on average worse than 5000. So Zen 4 worse than mm -hmm. Zen 3, but it's still comparable or better than Zen 2, Ryzen 3000. And I was told directly, honestly, Zen 3 is the most stable system we've ever seen in our life. Like, like there's <laughs> never a return of a Zen 3 chip or motherboard. And Zen 2 is kind of typical, and Zen 4 is typical as well. They don't expect that to change. But I guess I will put that out there because I have been digging into this, and they are paying attention to it. And short term, they're kind of saying, don't buy Asus motherboards because the way Asus has talked to them has pissed them off too. Like, I, I won't say any direct quotes because obviously it would give away who I'm talking to that talks to Asus reps, but like a lot of Asus reps <laughs> talking to retailers and distributors who buy these motherboards and then, you know, dole them out at first. We're like, it's, you know, we're going to get some heat, but whatever. And I don't know. Don't get mad at me. I'm not blaming user error. Asus was though, but they seem to, there'll be a link in the description backtracking a bit finally well i mean if this is wholly just asus being irresponsible which that sounds like what it mostly was to begin with then yeah they, they're honestly a micro center should be recommending you not get an asus motherboard to people like that's i think what their role is that's why you go to a micro center is to get advice and get like good deals but you're talking to a rep that sells these things 24 7 uh, I think their input is valuable, and that's <laughs> that's why you talk to a rep. It's like, well, well would you right, and they go, they would go to Asus and say, "Hey, um, your thing has had a couple of our customers return their CPUs with burns that seem to match with this YouTube video. Says could be caused by your motherboard, and it does seem like your motherboard when we put a new chip in it was like upping the voltages. And Asus was like, "We're not covering that warranty." So if you're a micro center, you're like, "Oh well, then we're not selling your products if they're just going to break everything we sell." Well, that's just dumping liability onto the store. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why would you sell it then? Yeah. Um, but anyways, I don't know. Do you have anything else to say about this though? No. All right. So Dead Eyes writes in and he says. Hi, Tom. In the last Broken Silicon, you and Tim discussed how the modern gaming laptop is a product for nobody. But I think you missed a major demographic. People who would happily game on a desktop PC if they had somewhere to put one. In my house, I simply don't have a spot where I can put a desk or a desktop PC. I do most of my gaming sitting in bed and then pack up the laptop into a bag when I'm done. With the price of housing getting so high, I think more and more people are running into this same issue and are focused and are forced into the laptop market. Yes, this gen of mobile has been abysmally disappointing. I'm certainly not defending buying this generation. Um, I mean, I guess, but you know, I've got a knuck over here that I'm testing a new one, and it's like I don't know if you can see it. It's like this, yeah, you can kind of see it. This big, <laughs> it's absolutely tiny. I don't know, guys. Uh, you can build. I just built a desktop for my girlfriend's sister, and 
it had a full 6700 full length card and the whole pc was like this big i I find it hard to believe that's not going to fit somewhere could be wrong maybe you don't have a desk that's the issue i I totally get what you're saying Mm -hmm. but and I'm not saying your situation is invalid, Dead Eyes. And I've seen other people write in saying, well, you know, I travel a lot. I live in a small apartment. And I'm, it's like, well, yeah, there's people where this still makes sense. I just, how many people is that where they literally don't have a desk this big to put a desktop this big on? And if that's the overwhelming majority of people, and that then used to be the case for the price, then why would me and Tim, which is the episode he's quoting from Hardware mm-hmm. Unboxed, be recommending laptops to most people like it doesn't really sound like you want my advice it sounds like you just don't have a choice and then it's like well okay but that still means i'm less likely to do content or tim's less likely to do content about this yeah i I mean you have to make broad recommendations to a broad audience of people and i think most people to be fair watching a youtube channel about niche tech stuff is probably gaming on a desktop at this point i mean i'm not saying that's the case for everyone true (laughs) so you're saying even just in terms of chasing the maximum amount of clips for the amount of work you put in it might be silly this gen to focus on laptops when they're so silly overpriced and not portable yeah um well then let us move on though to a story about something that is Extra, extra portable with story number one. Asus ROG Ally reviews are in. um, And this is the quote from The Verge for the title. Their review is called, It's Time to Stop Pretending Windows is the Answer. And so I kind of combined stuff from The Verge and from Linus Tech Tips to make this like summary review of the ROG Ally. It's easy to forget that the Steam Deck wasn't first. Windows handhelds gaming PCs have existed before the Steam Deck, and there's been a parade of them in the 15 months after the launch of the Steam Deck as well. Some are more powerful. Many boast premium build quality. Almost all have high-resolution screens, and yet none have offered the combination of battery life, portability, and pricing as Valve's portable Steam Deck has offered for 15 months. And unfortunately, in our view, that remains true to this day. Linus Tech Tips testing of this 8-core Zen 4 12-compute unit RDNA 3 handheld found that at 10-watt configuration, which, by the way, is required for, like, three hours of gameplay, the Steam Deck actually outperforms this ROG Ally notably. Then at 15 watts, the Ally is slightly stronger than the Steam Deck, and at 30 watts plus plugged in to the wall, the Ally can indeed be about 50% stronger than the Steam Deck, and indeed, The Verge found similar things to Linus Tech Tips. The owner of the Ally We'll have to decide, though, between three options that a lot of reviewers I've read around on think compromises the overall package. The three options you have with an ROG Ally are zero portability plugged into a wall for a lot better performance or worse battery life for basically the same performance or uh, or like a still worse battery life for way worse performance. So unfortunately, both Linus Tech Tips and The Verge found the OS also buggy, full of issues and cumbersome to use compared to the Taylor experience the Steam Deck offers. Like I, Linus Tech Tips said that the ROG Allies pop-up Asus menu actually works pretty well, but like there's things like where in the game library of the Asus library, like menu thing, you can delete a game from the library, but it doesn't uninstall it from Steam. 
And if you uninstall something from Steam, it doesn't remove it from the library. So you have to do everything twice there. And then there's also like a pop-up keyboard for the touch screen for typing. Can't use the controls. And it's a very small screen, so that's hard to do. And then there's also switching between desktop and handheld mode where the cursor appears in desktop mode. But a lot of times when you switch back to handheld mode, the cursor stays in the middle of the screen and you can't get rid of it without restarting. So there's just stuff like that that the Steam Deck never does. And so at the end of the day, I found this snippet from a review that I thought kind of summarizes what I think the sentiment is here. This person says, The Last of Us Part 1, one of the recent crop of disappointing PC ports, is one I'd consider unplayable on the Steam Deck. It's not much better on the RG Allies performance mode, to be fair, even with fancy upscaling techniques like AMD FSR 2.0 and Ultra Performance mode. But, you know, I might as well have been playing a mosaic at 432 by 240 pixels up res to 1080, and I still saw the game dip below 30 frames per second as soon as a single enemy got close to me at that ridiculous resolution. But if I turned on turbo mode, I was able to double the input resolution to 856 by 480, which looked much better and was playable. And I was also able to push frame rates well above 40 frames per second at all times. It was, I would say, the difference between I would absolutely never play this game on this system to, eh, I played it for three hours when I had some time to myself in a kid's bedroom while the family was doing something else downstairs. I saw a similar boost in Elden Ring and Redfall too, but it's a shame that I was averaging 53 minutes of gameplay per charge when I played at these settings that made it more worthwhile than the Steam Deck, and that I generally spend a few of those minutes also fighting with the ROG allies controls to get things working almost every time I boot it up. So these are the some of the reviews I looked at, Dan. I don't know if you looked around at other places. Um, I've seen... I'm going to be honest because I'm worried, you know, first we talk about the burn issues. Now we talk about this. Are we just going to get a bunch of down votes at the beginning before people two days later upvote us all the way back up to the normal percentage? But uh, guys, if you're going to get mad at me for saying this, I, it seems like there's just channels focusing on the fact that you can plug this in and game like a Chromebook performance or you cannot plug it in. And no matter what setting you choose, you have pretty bad battery life for the performance. Yeah, You can beat Which, the Steam Deck, but there's no battery life. At the point, at the point that uh, where we're talking about, well, you can get great performance on this thing if you just plug it into a wall, and you want, it's like it, to me, save money and get like one of those NUCs that are, are available, or, or those mini PCs that are available now that you can game pretty well on, and you'll spend like half the money that you would spend on this, or like two thirds the money that you would spend on this for pretty much equal gaming performance. Well, you know, and, and that is what Linus Tech Tip says. He's like, people are going, oh, $700 for something that's up to twice the performance of a Steam Deck, although it's usually like 20% better. Um, like, oh my God, like what a bargain for only like a little bit more money for a terabyte of storage or something. But at the end of the day, if you compare this to a laptop, I mean, right now you can get a 3050 laptop for less than this, and that will game way better now people will go the 3050 is only four gigabytes of ram pay attention the rog ally limits you to four gigabytes of vram while you're gaming on it so it's the same amount of vram but the integrated or the integrated graphics are like i don't even know two-thirds the performance of a 3050 probably less at best and you might as well just get a laptop that's cheaper and games better i think if this only has an hour of battery life well and that's the thing i, I think um like with these 
relatively niche products, well, you're designing it to try to, because everything is designed around like what the, the Steam Deck or in response to the Steam Deck, you can like look at the issues the Steam Deck has and like, okay, well, how do we solve this problem with the Steam Deck? And then how do we solve this problem? And you can accidentally innovate away from the original purpose of the Steam Deck. And now you just have a laptop that's way more limited in capability because you, it needs to have a gamepad. I, I mean, a, a controller hooked to it and no uh, keyboard. So you kind of just have a worse portable laptop in a lot of ways. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And, and it's sad because from what I could tell, some of the design choices were pretty interesting. Like, yeah, they said it was lighter, better screen, uh, the, the heat cool. vents better. The, yeah. Oh, not ran cool. Yeah, ran cool and well, really both. quietly, which uh, like the Linus Tech Tips reviews uh, emphasize that, like that high speed whine that I guess the Steam Deck is known for. It, uh, that uh, band of sound just isn't there with the Ally. So there's definite design wins with the Ally above the Steam Deck. It's just the, I think they, in the pursuit of having better performance, they forgot what the purpose of a steam deck it, i mean a steam deck style thing is and it's to be portable i i mean obviously i think there are situations where uh, the ally was probably better for some people than the steam deck but mm-hmm. it seems like the general recommendation is still the steam deck because I, what you get 20 percent better performance or something for way less game time so I don't know. I guess if you're using this on a commute and your commute's only 30 seconds, maybe that's a worthwhile sacrifice for you. Well, the Verge title was It's Time to Stop Pretending Windows is the Answer. And I yeah. saw, I think, Linus Tech Tips and multiple reviewers say, and then, of course, when we booted it up, like half the time Windows wouldn't work. And then they'd put like Windows, apparently a plus that this runs Windows. <laughs> um, well, and in the Windows settings and Linus Tech Tips review, I believe they they showed like, you have to manually switch between using the con- uh, the uh, the the uh, analog sticks as as a trackpad. So like sometimes it just doesn't yeah. work, and then you have to manually switch back and forth to actually get it to work. And that just sounds incredibly annoying. And frankly, w- Windows is designed to be used by a trackpad or a mouse and a keyboard. Having a touchscreen and these analog sticks, and then no keyboard doesn't seem like windows is the right solution (laughs) exactly and so that's why like if we're talking about this all right so like i said there's three options there's super low power mode which loses to the steam deck while still getting the same battery life ish and that's just all right so this is now worse than the steam deck i'd argue then there's a slightly better performance uh for an hour and a half of gaming time. Uh, all right. I would still argue the steam deck wins that exchange, but then there's also the option to plug it in and eh, kind of game like a, an Xbox series S on the go. All right. Well, that's pretty cool. And I would say that the fact that you could put an external GPU to this and hook up a keyboard, that does mean that you could have this and throw in your backpack, a keyboard and a couple things and plug it into the wall and, you know, maybe hook it up to a TV when you're traveling too. there's, there, there's more, this makes a better, you turned it into a desktop by plugging in a dock system than the Steam Deck does. To be oh, fair, yeah, yeah. it does make that way better. And so I think that's a very real plus here we shouldn't ignore. 
But at the end of the day, then you're like, okay, well, we have a couple pluses here, a couple pluses on the Steam Deck side, and then you go, but the OS works a bazillion times better on the Steam Deck. And it's well, then that's the tiebreak, right? And it's two hundred dollars cheaper, right? Yeah, but there's you'd probably not get the entry model with sixty four gigabytes of like oh, EMMC storage yeah. or something. You probably want to get the top one to compare it, anyways. And I think that's where you go. Okay, well, that's you know, but you know, so. I think, but the tiebreaker is the OS and it's a big tiebreaker because everyone says this thing just doesn't really, it it constantly has issues and I can't help but point out, you know, people might say, well, did you know, technically you can play Battlefield 2042 on this and you can't on the Steam Deck. It's like, okay, but like, are you really going to play the most intensive games anyways? And is it really worth having your entire library instead of 80% of your library? Because, you know, now you have to use a worse operating system. I think I'd rather have the operating system where less games, but I can launch them quicker and play them longer. So overall, I don't really see this as challenging the Steam Deck in any real way. I think this may be good enough to get some early decent sales, but unless they have a big update to the OS and maybe even... Because let's remember, the Steam Deck wasn't problem-free. They added like a 40 hertz control mode and all of these other things later. Unless there's a big set of like efficiency, software improvements, and other things in firmware over the next six months, I don't really see it challenging it. And I can't help but think to myself, like, and we talked about this offline, Dan, why eight cores? This thing's trying to run at 10 watts. Like, I, this should have had four of the cores disabled in a bigger battery. Now, for the battery, I don't know if like, all battery packs are manufactured at 99 watt hours and 40 watt hours. And so Asus just had to choose because the 60 watt one actually costs more than the 40. I mean, or with more than a 99, but a 99 wouldn't fit. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's why, but I can't help but go. They should have disabled half of the cores because you're never going to need eight Zen four cores to run these games. And I can't help but think that they should have had a 50% bigger battery. If they could have cut down power consumption 20% by doing that, made the battery 50% bigger. I, I think it actually may have been, despite the OS issues, a win. I actually do. Yeah, if you could get two hours of gaming out of it, then okay, maybe or maybe it's an answer or, or a viable answer versus the Steam Deck. And you know, depending on who wants who, what uses you're serving, you buy one or the other. But with it having the exact same battery, but pretty much well. Not pretty much. It has the exact same battery. It, it's just feels like the Steam Deck. It for most people makes more sense. Uh, I think so. And I mean, you've got such an ecosystem around the Steam Deck as well, to the point that it really does kind of actually feel like a console in its own right. And that means you have tons of people making Steam Deck specific patches for it, to the point where you're like, so what is this really going to do? We're going to run this at like 800p instead of 720p uh, mm-hmm. at a similar frame rate, but they customize the settings just for the Steam Deck. I don't know. Is that really worth the extra money and half the battery life? I, I don't personally think it is. No, I, I agree. It's But, but it's, it's unfortunate because I think there'll be some people like, oh, they hate it. And it's like, I don't hate it. It's just the OS thing. The older I get, the more you have a buggy OS, the more I just don't want it. You know, and I feel like that is alone would make me not choose it. And the fact that there's trade-offs and it costs more and it's coming out later, 
I, again, you know, it'd be like if the Xbox Series X was $700 and came out two years after the PS5, <laughs> but had like a couple extra features enabled. Yeah. I don't know that that's a, your second mover here. You need to do more than just that. Um, all right, then. Carbon Cry writes in and he says, what are your thoughts on Oculink? In the client space, it's a Thunderbolt competitor. It's literally cabled PCIe, not PCIe pass-through, but straight up PCIe. You can plug in a riser cable and it will be as if your laptop had a real PCIe slot. This removes a lot of weirdness with Thunderbolt, like needing for validation. However, Thunderbolt has a bigger mind share. And uh, anyways, here's a video of Oculink. I'm curious what you think of this. Did you watch this video, Dan? Yeah. So it was interesting. This seems like a substantially lower cost solution. And in fact, like you can build your own external GPU thing for like 20 bucks instead of 100. And in fact... Well, those th- those Thunderbolt enclosures are pretty damn expensive, and they can be. Yeah, th- this I, I don't think it was twenty bucks. I think it it came out to be in like seventy. He said or something like that. Yeah, but you're right. That's for the Thunderbolt cable. I think he said a three hundred fifty watt PSU, and a oh, and then the little like converter thing that you need to plug the graphics card in, uh, and mm-hmm. you know connect the Thunderbolt cable. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting too because. Because it is literally pass-through, you they, it comes with an adapter. You can plug this into an NVMe slot on a laptop, and you can have any laptop use an external graphics card. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I, I mean, the, the, I, I can't comment too much on this over the uh, like advantages it has over Thunderbolt because I just haven't used it. But I, it, it, it sounded like what people talking about using Thunderbolt, there are a lot of issues that come along with it. Mm-hmm. Well, and it did give me pause. It makes me go, huh, with Oculink, I'm wondering, like, we've been talking about this, Dan. I think I might just want to get a Strix Point laptop as my upgrade next year. And if I could just get an Oculink thingy and put it together and throw a graphics card on it, I don't know. I mean, you don't really need a desktop. That'd be sick. And, you know, 12 core Strix Point gra- integrated graphics that are good enough to play any game. Then you get home and you have a 4090 or something plugged in. That's that's crazy. That's a, yeah, that's that's a full on like yeah. I don't know if I need a desktop anymore if that's an option. Or this video from ETA Prime that Carbon Cry of course sent us, like the GPD Win Max is basically a micro laptop with controller controls yeah, put on it, which is an interesting little, design. It's a little goofy, I think, but I I, I do like it. <laughs> but it's like Dan, could you see yourself in like three years getting a better version of that that has like a Zen Six APU? And then you just have an enclosure with your graphics card, and that's it. And no matter where you go, every all files, everything's there. I mean, it would having one system that's portable and like has all the things I want on it. Yeah, sounds a lot more convenient than having a desktop and a laptop. The mm-hmm. only thing I, I the arguably only, saves money too. Yeah, the only sacrifice I would dislike and is uh, storage capacity with laptops is still annoying a lot of the times i i I would like a full terabyte of storage at least if i'm that's my only system and a lot of laptops you can get one terabyte of storage but getting it they just with 200 extra dollars for a terabyte or something well i think that's starting to change though right like doesn't the asus rog ally come with a terabyte no it comes with 512 oh it does I, i misremember that then okay well, so yeah, but I, but you know, it's not 256 and I'm starting to see more and more mid-range laptops come with a terabyte or more. I'm starting to think we're getting there. Also, I would point out, Dan, if you had this external GPU enclosure with 
your Oculink system, I would recommend you just get a dock that has a USB connected to an NVMe drive and like pretty soon with like USB four and yeah, stuff, that's you'll true. be able to do that. So, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then, you know, you could just have a steam library and extra files on there when you're home, if you need it. But yeah, I don't know. I think it's an interesting solution for a lot of people soon. Um, I just hope Oculink continues to be supported on some things and updated because I did see the Oculink thing. It, the ETA prime tested was PCIe gen four times four. And it's like, well, I'd want at least times eight or 5.0 times eight to ever consider that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyways, speaking of portable systems, let us now continue to story. Number two, ever feel like a dog chasing its tail as you scour dozens of eBay postings and CD websites looking for a safe way to get reasonably priced Microsoft software. Well, you don't have to do that. Just go to cdkeyoffer.com. This piece of content is sponsored by cdkeyoffer.com that offers both Microsoft operating systems, office products, select games, and even some gaming hardware peripherals for reasonable prices. And, you know, they've been a sponsor of Moore's Law's Dead and the entire team here for years for a reason. They've been good to me. They've been good to Dan. They've been good to dozens of me and Dan's family members and friends for years now. And they've also been good to the Moore's Law is Dead community. So whether you're looking for Steam, EA, Uplay, or PlayStation keys, or of course, Microsoft products or gaming peripherals, support Moore's Law is Dead by using the offer code BROKENSILICON for 25% off all Microsoft products and DieShrink for 3% off everything else on the website. Support Moore's Law is Dead by supporting one of our best long-term sponsors, cdkeyoffer.com today. Uh, we finally have decent Phoenix and Dragon Range reviews. I've got multiple links in the description, just like before at the ROG Ally. But this is my summary of the reviews from like Jared's second notebook tech that I read and watched. So, so we now finally have some AMD Phoenix and Dragon Range reviews to sink our Seraphid teeth into. Do AMD's new Zen 4 mobility products fly far above the competition? Well, starting with Phoenix, specifically the R9-7940HS, this 8-core, 16-thread Zen 4 APU trades blows in single-threading with 45-watt Intel CPUs, uh, trades blows in multi-threading with 65-watt 6-plus-8 Intel CPUs while using less energy, and on the whole, outperforms competing Intel CPUs until both reach about 95 watts, which I don't think these Phoenix chips are basically ever clocked to, which means in almost all sub-65-watt systems, Phoenix simply beats Raptor Lake. And in lower TDP comparisons, Phoenix can average over 25% faster. And its integrated graphics, of course, vastly outperform Intel's current offerings and also eclipse previous-gen AMD 680M performance by 15 to 30%, depending on the TDP rate and settings, bringing 780M integrated graphics performance to about 1650 Ti Max-Q performance, maybe a hair below that. And so overall, Phoenix ends up very competitive against Raptor Lake and obviously an improvement over Rembrandt, but seemingly not by as much as this reader at least was hoping. Don't get me wrong. It is the best APU on the market in sub 50 watt form factors. It, its efficiency gains over Rembrandt aren't that great, though. And it actually at best seems to be configured to 45 to 54 watts to really maximize the performance gains over its predecessor. Because of that, I do suspect that Raptor like refresh leaked by this channel already in terms of what its performance should be may actually beat Phoenix in CPU performance, although not integrated graphics, but then in Meteor Lake will probably solidly beat Phoenix's integrated graphics by 10 to 20%, assuming the drivers let you boot a game. And 
Well, I, I'm testing Intel graphics again yeah. right now. Yeah. And it's still an issue, guys. All right. It's there's just games you can't play. But um and Meteor Lake will probably have substantially better efficiency than Phoenix as well. Anyways, switching from feathered wings to reptilian wings, AMD's Dragon Range 16 core 32 thread products handedly beat Intel's Raptor Lake HX CPUs when configured to the same TDPs. So TDP to TDP, AMD always wins. And even generally wins when constricted to 80 watts, while Intel's is allowed to use 160 watts. But it does lose in 1080p gaming slightly, but interestingly, wins in 4K gaming consistently. So yeah, I would just say then, all things considered overall, AMD's new mobile offerings, Phoenix and Dragon Range, basically take all crowns across the board for the most part in reasonable circumstances. Uh, however, I have to say that I think AMD will need Vcash to make um, Dragon Rage beat Raptor Lake refresh and multi-threading for sure, and that Meteor Lake should beat Phoenix in just one quarter for now. So the fight between these two in mobility continues. All right, what did you think about all this information here? What do you think of Phoenix and Dragon Range? Uh, I, I think it just become it's we're at a point right now where uh, AMD and Intel are both competitive with one of an, another, so it, it's hard to like make a blanket recommendation of one or the other. Obviously, uh, it, AMD's offerings are overall better right now, but with laptops, you have to consider the full package. So you need to see well what options have the manufacturers actually given us. But you know, uh, <laughs> I think it's good that. Both are remaining competitive, and if you're looking for a laptop right now, obviously go Zen. But that's probably going to change in, like, what, three months? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think I sent you one of the Jared's Tech testing slides. Let me open it. And I would say that, yeah, I think Raptor Lake Refresh is going to, depending on the TDP... Yeah, I think in the higher TDP ranges, so by that I mean probably 90 to 130 watts, Raptor Lake Refresh should be able to get close to tying Dragon Range efficiency mm -hmm. and therefore performance. But I'd still say at 75 watts and lower, and there are a decent amount of Dragon Range systems that configure these uh, 8 to 16 core CPUs at like 65 watts. I still think they're going to have the advantage there. And so if they bring out Vcash, I mean, we've seen what that does for efficiency. They're, they're going to take it. And I do hear they're probably going to bring out Vcash versions of Dragon Range right in time for Raptor Lake Refresh, guys. Yeah, I mean, if Raptor Lake, if unless Raptor Lake makes massive gains in efficiency over, I mean, sorry, Raptor Lake Refresh makes massive gains in efficiency over Raptor Lake, I don't see why it would really be that much better than the picture we have right now at like 45 to 75 watts, which is where Phoenix really shines. But, and I do also think it's notable, though, that even though Intel will scale past uh, past Phoenix right now in their power usage, well, it's still better even at Intel with higher power. So, you know, maybe Raptor like refresh, if you're getting like a super high power usage uh, system, Intel will eke out a little bit, but that's it. It's basically going to allow them to tre tread water unless AMD puts out Vcash, which if they do. They're still yeah. behind in mobile. Except Meteor, Meteor Lake might be really efficient for lower power. Though, Me right? Meteor Lake's supposed to be like a third less power usage than Raptor Lake Refresh, which means almost half the power of standard Raptor Lake. So yeah, they're going to win with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it is coming out later. It will cost more, and AMD will have Strix Point early next year. So 
we'll see what happens there. The fight continues, but I do have to say, although the fight continues, AMD is ahead. You know, they are, though. Yeah, but we're just at a point right now with laptops, it looks like. And hopefully this is just how it keeps going, because I think the market is better. As Well, whoever released the newest product most recently has the slightly better product. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but speaking of releasing new products, let mm. us move on from products that are yet to be released from AMD with story number three. AMD server roadmaps leaked. 16-core 8950X Zen 5L3 cache uh, size and Turin AI confirm. Here's the write-up. Over the past few months, there have been a perplexing amount of fake leakers being quoted across the tech gossip rags with incorrect Zen 5 specs that caused a lot of confusion. Despite this channel, Moore's Law is Dead, sharing numerous slides demonstrating that Zen 5's performance increase does not come from some L2 or L3 cache increase, but that changed on May 11th when Morslaz had leaked a very recent slide of an AMD server roadmap update that confirmed the following. Bergamo, Sienna, and Genoa X should be ready to launch by late quarter two of, let me see here, of, yeah, of 2023. I almost got confused here, but like they've produced them. They can basically release them whenever they want. Genoa X has up to 1.152 gigabytes of L3 cache in total. Turin X with Zen 5 next year goes up to 1.536 gigabytes of total L3 cache. And this confirms if you divide L3 by core that Zen 4 and Zen 5 have the same amount of L3 cache per core despite these bullshit rumors. Furthermore, Turin Classic goes up to 128 cores and 500 watts and should launch by quarter three of next year. Although I have to say that a lot of the sources I talk to think that they will be able to launch it at least in some capacity in the first half of next year. Then Zen 5C Turin Dense on three nanometer goes up to 192 cores at 500 watts and should be able to launch in the first half of next year easily because it seems like three nanometer Zen 5C may actually have been pulled up enough to be launching before the four nanometer variants. There's a pretty big bombshell from that leak. Also, Turin AI is its own distinct product type that should launch by early 2025 with low volume. Remember that Turin Cinebench leak I did? That was a Turin AI sample, people. Uh, Zen 5C Serrano is triple confirmed as the successor to Sienna. Should launch in the first half of 2025 with up to 64 cores of Zen 5C. And AMD should be able to at least launch 16 core, 4 nanometer Zen 5 on AM5 to gamers in the first half of next year. Note that this is a server roadmap that depicts the embedded version of AM5 products launching in 2025. Embedded pretty consistently launches a year later than gaming, meaning that there's a high, high, high likelihood quarter one or two next year, we're going to get new 16 core gaming chips on AM5 with a new architecture. Additionally, AMD should be launching Zen 5 Vcash variants on AM5 late 2024, but these do seem to clearly be in production a quarter or two after the non Vcash variants, meaning, well, unfortunately, it does seem like the Vcash models will come out, you know, for like a quarter later, just like they did this generation. Um, and otherwise it seems like there are going to be very minor updates to the chipset until probably gen, uh, Zen six and quarter four, 2025. I don't think they're adding more PCIe lanes from what I can tell on here or anything like that. They're going to keep using the chipsets they have until then. And yeah, Zen six, where this roadmap ends, seems like that's coming out at the end of 2025. And then, uh, yeah, so there you go. Seems like AMD should be ready with a successor to Zen 4 and AM5 that once again tops out at 16 cores in the first half of 2024, likely half a year before Arrow Lake launches. And these Zen 5 
desktop products should offer 25 to 35% higher performance than Zen 4 without requiring higher costs from 3 nanometer. So they should be able to keep the same pricing they have now. Uh, and when it comes to 3 nanometer, AMD apparently has products ready to go well ahead of Sierra Forest launch. Um, all right, so there's the write-up, Dan. I don't know. What did you think about this information? Yeah, the the thing that's stood out to me the most was uh, obviously I think Turin Dense being brought up before the release of Turin Classic. I like the name of calling that Turin Classic. Me too. Uh, um, I, I think that stands out because that just screams to me that uh, <laughs> that servers just want more cores uh, and give us this as soon as you can. <laughs> yeah. And you know, it just, it makes a lot of sense. It was funny when I saw this roadmap, I was like taken a bit aback and like, whoa, whoa, I need to like double check all of this stuff. But then it turned out some context confirmed that's embedded on the bottom. I'm like, okay, well that makes sense now. And then I asked around more, like, is it crazy that three nanometer may have moved up? And then everyone was like, didn't Daniel Nenny say three nanometers doing fine? And, <laughs> and basically everyone I asked said, uh, well, you know, it's all down to when it's ready. We would prefer to launch three nanometer first for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to head off Sierra Forest because you already can kind of see it in Intel's marketing. They're like Sierra Forest up to 144 cores. Re retake the core count crown. Wow. And then if AMD can launch one month before Sierra Forest, a 192 core. Bye bye. That yeah. will look very, very bad to investors, especially when you consider Sierra Forest cores don't have hyperthreading and they have lower performance than ice lake per core so or or similar depending on what the clock speeds are uh, lower ipc than ice lake maybe same performance per core though because they clock higher we'll see um and so i don't know how no hyperthreading 144 ice lake cores is going to compete at all with 192 zen 5 cores and remember zen yeah. 5c and zen 5 same ipc they just don't clock as high yeah i i, I mean i think the the case for Sierra Forest is definitely a lot weaker, more weakened with uh, Turin Dense being pulled up. <laughs> yeah, uh, to that much earlier. You know, I'd also be remiss if I didn't point out here that there was a, a several Twitter leakers like a day after I put this leak out said can confirm this roadmap was just shared. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> so this was a pretty big coup for the channel. This, of course, came from this was confirmed, and you know, I got this from a couple of my best sources. Um, it wasn't like only a few people had seen it, but this was earlier than usual. And I was, you know, pretty excited to get it out. Cause I'm really, I was, I was, I mean, you can tell in the way I wrote the write up. I was so sick of people misquoting the cash on this stuff. I know. Guys. Like <laughs> it's absolutely ridiculous. You have, you know, bullshitters claiming that some, for some reason, Strix uses Zen four C cores with Zen five, which makes absolutely no sense. Like why takes up the same amount of die space or similar enough? Why would you use Zen four again? It'd be like using um, yeah yeah because it's fun to uh, waste money by making overly complicated uh, product designs, Tom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. This is really exciting. I think um, when I look at this roadmap, there's not a whole lot new here besides three nanometer being ahead of schedule to what I think people are expecting. But otherwise, we just know cash amount confirmed. All these different code names like Serrano that I already leaked are now like double, triple confirmed. And we know for sure now, at least at first, Zen 5 up to 16 cores uh, on AM5. Yeah, uh, and that Serrano is a follow-up to Sienna, which 
I don't know. I, I did say that, but you, you said that. And I, we we suspected that, but it does it's good mean to know there's for sure. a naming to a, a scheme to their naming madness. It seems. Yes. Yeah. Smaller Italian towns, although Serrano is like way smaller than Siena. So I don't know. <laughs> um. It's 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 half random. Let's be honest. Uh, QH Freddy <laughs> writes in and he says, with the high end APUs you leaked being 256 bit parts, Strix Halo, he means, I can't imagine them being very well suited to lower cost designs, particularly on the desktop mini PC side. Do you think low end dedicated graphics cards might still appear now and again for those use cases? Oh, yeah. Now and again, for sure. Especially like like when I said the MX series was canceled by NVIDIA. I basically meant they're done with 108 dies and you're going to see less mm-hmm. and less MX dies. And they may just, they may just cancel the name and start making like, what would they call it them? You know, an RTX 4040 or something like mm-hmm. that. Um, that's probably what they're going to do instead of call it an MX card. And they'll do that if they see an opening, like, Oh, it turns out this 64 bit version of a 4060 with four gigabytes of Ram beats most integrated graphics and a lot of oems right now can get six cores zen fives or you know i guess eight core probably by then because it goes up to 12 cores uh eight cores zen five chips for like 20 bucks each oh so here's our 30 dollar graphics card and this can go into a 600 dollar laptop and they can't compete with this like i think you're still going to see opportunistic launches in the low end like that in laptop but most people I talk to at AMD and NVIDIA are like, we're, we're basically done with 64-bit GPUs and super low-end here. APUs are, it's done. Well, yeah, I, I mean, the attempt from AMD here is what? You have a Strix point for low to mid-range, I guess, graphics. Should give you 3050 performance, it says, you know, except with more VRAM because it's not limited to four gigabytes. Yeah, and it had, And uh, so, I mean, that's, you know, that's that's already killing MX right there. Yeah, and then you have Strix Halo, which will be Occupy mid-range, and then they still don't have APUs for high-end, so they're going to have, I forgot what the follow-up to Dragon ra- uh, Range was called. Fire Range. Fire Range. So then they have that to pair with high-end GPUs. I guess there could be, and I mean, it, Intel's going to have, I think, similar, or attempt to have similar answers to that, although... I think you're just going to see Intel keep getting uh, paired with uh, DGPUs for a while. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I, to QH Freddy, he says, I can't imagine these parts being cheap. I don't know why they'd be any more expensive. I think they will be at first because there's new. You have to design a laptop around the main is going to want to milk it because they went out of their way to make this at first. But long term, I really don't see why these would be more expensive, at least the versions we're seeing now, because think about it. What? You got a 256. It's supposed to compete up to the 4070, guys. So you have a 128-bit 4070, a 128-bit CPU. The CPUs are usually like, what, 200, 250 millimeters squared. The GPU is 180. So you're going to, in total, like 430 millimeters squared. I don't think that's how big Strix Halo is going to be. I think it's. I think the estimate I saw was somewhere around 300 to three to 400 or something. So a similar amount of silicon, similar bus width, I don't see why it would be any more expensive, actually. I think it'd probably be cheaper for the overall system than going with the dedicated cards. I think, I mean, the big cost, I think, that will be associated with moving to Strix Point is just a lot of R&D work is going to need to go into... Strix Halo. Sorry, yeah, Strix Halo. A lot of uh, design work is going to need to go into designing laptops 
that are built for Strix Halo. Yeah. So I don't, again, short term, more expensive, probably long term. I don't see the argument, but there's still always going to be times where getting a dedicated card in there makes sense for mm -hmm. some combination of something. Um, by the way, you didn't say anything about my Sarapsid comment when I was doing the write up for Dragon Range in Phoenix. I was like, yeah, birds and reptiles are distantly related, right? Like, well, there's a word for that, right? And there they're is. Serops yeah, they're Seropsids. Seropsid. I, I knew people are going to correct me there, but I hope you. And I said Seropsid, and I said switching from feathered wings to reptilian. Although Someone, I will can say. Can we clap Tom, for me a little bit there? That was kind of cool. I will say, Tom. <laughs> uh, if we're if we're biting into the CPUs, we are synapsid. So we we're uh, we're biting our synapsid. That's true. Into the oh, you're synapsid. Right. Uh, I should have said that. APUs. <laughs> all right. So let's reverse. Redo uh, all of this. Reverse the clapping. I, it's not, it's not. Okay. <laughs> let us now. Let us now then, after all that goofiness, move on to story number four. Moore's Law is Dead confirms that TSMC 3 nanometer is on track despite the FUD online. All right, this writer believes that one of the last points mentioned in that last story about Zen 5's roadmap deserves its own discussion. Guys and gals, TSMC 3 nanometer, according to the people I've talked to, is totally on track with good yields for a big 2024 full of 3 nanometer products should people want to use them. Yes, AMD, at a minimum, is planning to use 4 nanometer for most of Zen 5, but that is a choice for lower costs, removing risks of low clock speeds on some of the yields, and accounting for the fact that standard Zen 5 doesn't gain much density overall, going from 4 nanometer to 3 nanometer because of how much cash it has. Zen 5C, though, is different. It drops a lot of the cash in favor of denser, lower clocked cores, and so yeah, that's worth paying extra for 3 nanometer. But Strix and Zen 5 Classic don't need that. Furthermore, uh, people I talked to at NVIDIA about this said they're not worried about uh, Blackwell being delayed. Green Anime is totally on track. The yields they are looking at in reports are totally in line for them. Uh, and the same goes with people I talked to at TSMC for the products they're working on with their other customers as well. So it doesn't seem like there's any issues here with N3E, which is basically fixed standard N3, N3P, or even N3X nodes. They have good yields and impressive performance right now. And at the end of the day, then, what Daniel Nenny insisted a few weeks ago rings true. TSMC's base 3 nanometer node, called N3B right now, is indeed six months behind. And Apple is the first customer, and so they are having yield issues with it for launching products this fall. But that's a custom initial 3 nanometer node for Apple. It's not N3E, it's not N3P, and it's not N3X. All these other customers are using those nodes all seem on schedule for next year for anyone who chooses, and that's an important word here, chooses to use them. So I don't know. I thought that was, you said that was probably the biggest thing from that, but I wanted to talk about that specifically with you. Obviously, Apple is always the first to get a new node because they have unlimited money. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, they're going to have growing pains uh, because of that sometimes if something's a little bit behind schedule. And then, I don't know, somebody needs uh tech rumor to talk about so they see n3 is behind schedule they know blackwell is going to be on n3 and they're like does that mean blackwell's going to be eight months behind <laughs> yeah and it's just th th this isn't the capacity they're buying that's behind schedule right and you know could blackwell come out 2025 yeah but everything i'm told is it's because they have like i keep saying 
years worth of ampere oversupply and probably extra lovely supply than they needed because they still made too many before they started cutting orders. So that's that's why Blacko would be delayed is if they think RDNA4 won't be ready on time and they want to keep selling ampere, you know, which yeah. when we get to a later story, I think we can tell they do still want to keep selling ampere with how they're pricing some of their other stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't understand, though, where you get the perspective of something that's supposed to come out this fall is a little bit behind schedule and then extrapolate that to something that's going to come out in 2024 probably late 2024 i would assume uh why you would assume that's going to mess up their deadlines um especially when they can presumably port it to another node if they need to jump from m3 yeah so i mean i don't have much else to add to this do you no but i thought it was worth because that really was a big thing. Everyone was, I've seen these people in the comments in all caps, no three nanometer till 2025, deal with it. I don't know who this is. Oh, probably Intel fanboys. But that's not the case, guys. Yeah. Um, let us move on then to a reader mail from Beefish. Tom, on the la- latest Broken Silicon, you asked the question that everyone wants to know the answer to. If NVIDIA bought more capacity for Lovelace than they did of overstocked and not moving Ampere, what are they going to do with all those cards? Can they convert them to data center? Are they just going to continue to play chicken with the market and hope consumers blink first? Well, that seems like what they have been doing. They seem to be slightly adjusting it more and more, as we'll get to with the graphics cards they announced today. Uh, I don't think enough yet. But honestly, I've heard from multiple people they're artificially limiting 4090 supply. Like some retailers know of distributors that have like a warehouse of 4090s that NVIDIA is saying you can only ship this many from them a month. So there's something going on there because they don't want the top end to collapse. And then they're cutting four nanometer order orders, supposedly. Um, additionally, I mean, I've talked about this multiple times. They're trying to dump it into data center. Instead of selling a 24 gigabyte 4090 for 1600, or if they sell too many of them, 1300 eventually, I don't know. Mm-hmm. What they're doing is they're saying, oh yeah, the RTX 6048 gigabyte, yeah, that's, a, that's totally a $7,000 graphics card. But if you buy two, it's 3000 like uh, okay so more than yeah interesting nvidia and they're like well yeah we'd rather put another hundred dollars worth of ram on there and sell it for three grand than risk having to sell more of them for 1300 with half the ram so that's going on and they're getting desperate i even saw like i think a rtx 4000 small form factors you can get for like five to six hundred to seven hundred dollars they're 20 gigabytes so 20 gigabyte cards for like about the price of a 4070 and they're getting to the point where they are encroaching on their desktop cards. And I think the only reason they would be doing that is because they're desperate to try to get data center people to upgrade. But a lot of them aren't because they said, well, unless you give me 96 gigabytes, why would I upgrade? That's actually what I want. <laughs> I, I mean, that's the problem with what NVIDIA's whole strategy was. I, I mean, since Ampere is they want to get cute and clever with demand. And I think they thought it would pay off in the long run, but it looks like they're just going to be left holding the bag and they might be left holding the bag with two generations of graphics cards. Right. And that, and again, I don't know if it'll show up in earnings now, but I just think quarter three is the ones to watch for this year. Like where if NVIDIA is kicking some can down the road, it'll probably have to show up eventually. We'll see. Yeah, it has to. Well, it has to eventually. It has to eventually, unless uh, they uh, found uh, something to do with it. Yeah, unless they get a really big brain move at the last minute and are able to put all their stock out. Yeah. All right. 
QH Freddy writes in and says, given how much oversupply there was of GA104, do you think NVIDIA should have held back on putting the GPUs on boards and release 16 gigabyte versions of the 3060 Ti and 3070 after the mining crash? Um, I don't know. I, I think um, a lot of them were pre-manufactured boards mm-hmm. or the bomb kits were like pre-supplied. Like I do know that a way NVIDIA and a lot of these manufacturers control their AIBs is they'll say, well, yeah, here's the bomb kit. And you can source your own RAM if you want to, but we stockpiled 10 million chips or something, and we're going to sell you the eight gigabytes of RAM with the die. So a lot of AIBs will stockpile the die and the RAM at the same time from NVIDIA. And so they probably didn't have a, they probably pre-manufactured half of this crap. You know? So I don't think they could have really realistically done that. And also NVIDIA at the time probably would have looked at that and said, oh, I don't know if we want to do that, you know. I mean, what about our future eight gigabyte cards? Now, in hindsight, they probably wish they would have just done that instead of what they're trying to pull right now with the next story. But yeah, I I also think they probably would have like the 3060 having 12 gigabytes was an odd enough look as it as it was. But then having the 3060 Ti and 3070 also both have more RAM than their what they called their flagship card would have been. uh, It would have been really odd. (laughs) And kind of argued against getting a 3080, um, which, yeah, right. uh, Where the market's at right now, I mean, not market, where the gaming world is right now, I think I might rather have a 16 gigabyte 3070 than a 10 gigabyte 3080. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, again, let's remember, there's trade-offs here, too. Like, the 3080 is 30 to 40% better uh, in performance, but it uses... 50% 50% more energy. So it's kind of like, eh, you know, if it was the same power or similar power, like we've seen in previous generations where they'll, I mean, for example, with the 6700 XT, that used 230 watts, the 6800 used 250. So you like almost the same power consumption, but one was 20% better with more RAM. Yeah, it's worth more money for sure. Mm-hmm. But, well, I don't know though. If, where if the 6800 XT for some reason had eight gigabytes and then the 6700 XT had 12 and was, eh, that's where it becomes interesting. And I agree with you. I'd probably rather have a 16 gigabyte 3070 because eh, at least it uses less energy too. Yeah. Um, I will say this inside baseball thing here. I heard that NVIDIA did consider putting the low end of the 4000 series on eight nanometer. Oh, but they wanted better pricing from Samsung or something and Samsung wouldn't budge. And so they said, well, we're not going to, unless you give us a crazy bargain and we're not going to look for excuses to work with you. So <laughs> this base, but they considered it. They did consider low end eight nanometer cards and maybe they should have when we see the pricing of the products in story number five. Jesse here loves sticks, but it definitely wouldn't be healthy if I just let her chow down on them all the time as much as she would like to. The same is usually true for reasonably priced instant meals for humans. It's easy to feel stuck looking for something that's quick to cook, tasty, healthy, and cheap all at the same time. Well, unless you consider Vite Ramen, this piece of content is sponsored by Vite Ramen. Vite Ramen is a healthy, tasty, and shelf-stable food crafted by an American startup that offers a ton of options for eating healthy, like their classic packages that make it easy for you to add protein and other ingredients of your choice to make a complete 
party meal, or their ramen go packages that offer a healthy, microwavable option for those who truly only have a 15-minute lunch break, whether at the office or at home. Click on the link in the description and use the offer code BROKENSILICON to save 10% on a variety of different products, including special bundles just for Moore's Laws Dead fans, raw nudes if you want to make up your own recipes, and other food products, cooking utensils, and more. And when you order this spring, know that Vite just shut down for three months and relaunched their entire operation to improve speed, customer service, and just to improve things in the back end so they can keep up with how popular their product has become. Supporting them helps support me. And even just clicking on the link below makes a big difference. But I really do like their product and I recommend it. So if you're hungry for something that's healthy, cheap, and easy to make, check out Vite Ramen and use offer code BROKENSILICON today. Story number five, RTX 4060 Ti and 4060 announced, confirming Moore's Law is Dead's leaks from earlier this week. On May 18th, as leaked would happen this week by this channel, NVIDIA finally swerved first in the low-end game of GPU chicken they have been playing with AMD for the past month. They announced, number one, that the RTX 4060 Ti 16GB does exist and it will cost $500 launching in July. This was undoubtedly a last-minute addition to the lineup in response to recent coverage of AAA releases needing more than 8GB. That's why when people say, why did you harp on it so much? Because I knew we could get them to change their lineup if we did. And they have, guys. But you can tell that this was a last-minute addition because this is coming out in July. The 4060 Ti 8GB was also announced for $400, launching May 24th. Uh, expect this to perform like an RTX 3070 at best, according to the people I've talked to. Uh, additionally, the RTX 4060 8GB was announced for $300, launching in July. Expect this to be... Honestly, 10 to 20% better than the 3060. It's not going to be great. Uh, and yeah, the 16 gigabyte model costs too much, in my opinion, compared to a $500 6800 XT that should prove to be 30% stronger for the price that you'd, you don't have to wait two months early. Get a 4060 Ti 16 gigabyte now, uh, and it'll be stronger. Uh, also, it's like the same performance as a 12 gigabyte 6750 XT that you could get for $100 less. Yeah, I think the 16 gigabyte model's a joke. I think the 8 gigabyte model's a joke because it has 8 gigabytes. And it gets even weirder, though. As I noticed that at least on a slide on NVIDIA's website, the RTX 4060 had 24 megabytes of L2 cache listed. And yet, the RTX 4060 laptop edition with full AD107 has 32 megabytes of L2 cache. And I reached out to a contact at NVIDIA that told me, well, I think that could tell that the reception wasn't very good today and so wasn't having fun talking about it, but was very matter-of-fact in the answers. Person tells me at NVIDIA, Desktop 4060 uses 8107. Desktop 4060 only has 24 megabytes of L2. Laptop 4060 uses 8107 with full 32 megabytes enabled. So I don't know. What I know is, Dan, you noticed this before we started recording. At first, I thought maybe they had like 28, 16 CUDA cores enabled at 2.65 gigahertz. According to the slide on their website, it has a full 3072 CUDA cores. So I don't know if there is a mistake on that. Maybe it has higher clocks and a few CUDA cores are disabled along with the cache. But otherwise, I don't know. Maybe they, may just, disabled they just disabled some... They, or they just disabled 8 megabytes of cache. Right, and I guess that could be a possibility. I really don't know. And if I get enough, they will record and I'll let you guys know. But it seems odd to me. At the end of the day, though, no matter how you dice it, 
I have slides from NVIDIA's website and someone I talked to at NVIDIA suggesting to me that NVIDIA is about to try to sell a cut down 107 die for $299 this gen. And again, let me remind you guys, the 3050 has, or, or like the 3068 gigabyte, that's using a 271, 272 millimeter square die. Okay. Well, this is 150, so almost half the die size. That that makes more than makes up for the silicon cost difference, and yet they're still cutting it down. So I still see $300 for this to be pretty bad ripoff. Uh, but what do you think, Dan? Um, so I, I, I guess the four, <laughs> the 4060 Ti is hooray. We actually got what 20% better price performance uh two years later year. yeah it might be like 15% yeah somewhere around it, there it, it's somewhere around there i think that's a actual and non negligible amount but it's still not great the 4060 ti at with 16 gigabytes at $500 i don't know feels kind of insulting to me i i, I wish that was like 450 maybe then it would be better uh but if I it was think, 450, I'd have to begrudgingly recommend it over the 6800 XT, I think, because 6800 XT would be but you 20 to 30 percent better. But this is 10 percent cheaper, but it also has DLSS, uses less energy. But if it's the same price right now, two months before the 16 gigabyte version comes out for five hundred dollars, you can get a 6800 XT that's stronger. By the time this comes out, it'll probably be cheaper. And there's tons of budget cards on the used market right now you can occasionally you can occasionally find a 6800 which will be stronger than this for like 300 dollars. so yeah like i think there's a pretty good chance that this is going to that this will end up driving the price down of this uh, of it anyways making 6800 or 6800 xt which there's some models of that are even available below uh 500 dollars uh i i wouldn't be surprised if this drives the price of it down a little bit we'll see um and then yeah, the forty sixty, uh, eight the forty sixty, not forty sixty Ti. What you're getting, four gigs less RAM, uh, slightly better performance for thirty less dollars uh, compared to the thirty sixty from two years ago. So it's like, we, this is yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it, there's nothing really special or anything to write home about with the thirty sixty. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, this all reminds me, I don't know if you remember this, Dan, of the GTX 962 gigabyte from Maxwell. Like, NVIDIA mm -hmm. launched a 128 gigabyte 60 card, sounds familiar, and they said, well, we're launching it for a lower price than the 760. And it was actually weaker in some titles than the 760. But they're like, hey, it uses less energy, it's on average a little faster, and it's cheaper, and you just go, yeah, but it's still a two gigabyte card. Two gigabytes for a 760 was okay a year or two ago. Now it's not okay. And then they just had to like axe it and launch a four gigabyte model to compete with the R9 380. Uh, and it was just a silly situation overall. Um, or it was yeah, the R9 380. Yeah, R9 380. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the 4060 Ti versus the eight gigabyte 4060 Ti versus the offerings we had last generation is kind of the biggest it is like the biggest uh upgrade in price performance we really had this entire generation aside from the 4090 but it's still not great and the this lovelace just doesn't look very good how they've uh 
section their price performance versus other generations. No, it's not. It's very clear they botched the initial launches and it's too late for them to fix this unless they just do price cuts and redo parts of the lineup and they seem unwilling to. So, you know, they tried to go as low as I think they were willing to go 299 and 399, but ultimately it doesn't matter. What they really should have done is the 4060 Ti should have had the full die. It doesn't, by the way, guys, uh, and been 450 with 16 gigabytes and it should have been cut down like 10% with eight gigabytes for like 350 or less. And Mm -hmm. that should have been the 4060. And then what they're calling the 4060 should have been, I mean, let's be honest, like 270 and been the 4050 Ti. That's what they should have done. And that would have, it honestly still wouldn't have been that exciting to me, but it would have been just enough where I'm like, I'm probably going to end up recommending these cards because it's slightly better overall than everything else. But every, everything else around it, it's just, Another example of like the 4070 where I'm like, yeah, uh, just get a 6950 XT. This is not, this is a nothing. Yeah. I, I, I mean, they tried to drag prices up this generation and people are tired of it. And now this gen is just going to look really stupid. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah. I yeah. And it's just funny to realize, you know, in my leak of this pricing at the beginning of this week, I also used that as a chance to benchmark the 4070. And I found, you know, at the end of the day, looking at the pricing performance chart, even in 4K, at the end of the day, I think pretty soon the only cards I'll be recommending is the 4090 for those who want the best, the 7900 XT 20 gigabyte for 750, which I'm looking at new, it gets almost to 750, it will be. Mm-hmm. And then there are people who go, what about the XTX? And the way I would put it is, well, I think it sounds more sexy if you say, the 7900 XT is less than half the price of the 4090 for like 65, 70% of the performance, and it almost has the same amount of RAM. It's like, yeah. oh, so I, I'm saving, I mean, you're almost saving $1,000 to get almost that tier of performance. I would do that. Then it is to say the 7900 XTX is 20% weaker for 33% less money. Okay. I don't know. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, again, I don't think that when it came out, I think the 7900 XT was a joke at 900. Yeah. Uh, and when the 4090 was climbing to 2000, oh, sure, half the price, 7900 XTX, get that over the 4090. Or in a new world, you have to reevaluate. If it's less than half the price for like 70% of the performance and almost the same amount of RAM, I think that's probably more than enough performance for most people. And then honestly, below that, I mean, look, you can get deals here and there, but I I just point to the 6,710 gigabyte, the unsung hero of low end for the past year. I, I mean, guys, yeah, I know. this is a 280, 10 gigabyte card. Don't need to pay extra. 10 gigabyte card that in my testing, the 4070 was only like 50%, 60% stronger for over double the price. <laughs> like yeah, it I- is to the point where it's hard for me to recommend anything else because a lot of these prices are stupid. $280 for a 10 gigabyte card. It's good enough. That's going to last you in 1080p for sure. 1440p probably at medium settings. And in my testing, it could play any game that didn't have a lot of VRAM usage because it had 10 gigabytes at like 4K 60 lock, maybe 4K 72. Well, yeah. The, and that's kind of like been the benchmark I've been looking at a lot of the time uh, when we're getting to the quote unquote lower price GPUs where it's like, oh, this finally dropped in performance. I mean, dropped in price a ton. And like i don't know how does it stack up against the 6700 because for some reason that thing is just always at the best price performance you can get at the low end 
I guess that's the other thing I want to bring up. I think I forgot to put this in the write-up, but I think this is worth highlighting. I put together this little like collage of snippets from NVIDIA's press release about VRAM. They have like page after page trying to describe why eight gigabytes is okay. It's clear that NVIDIA knows they're going into the review day with a lot of criticism here. They have all these things like, well, eight gigabytes with this is not the same as eight gigabytes with that and with DLSS and all these other features and you can toggle things and and they made that ridiculous argument that we know is bullshit now. Allocation is not usage. It is usage when your frame rate gets cut in half and half of the new releases in video. So if there's a something different between them, uh, functionally, I see it's uh, dropping my performance off a cliff. So I yeah. don't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mark writes in and he says, prices are official and all the 4060 cards suck. In my opinion, none buck the trend of at a cost frame per frame being very nearly the same across the stack. For simplicity, let's begin with the 4060 Ti 8 gigabyte. Two-thirds the performance of a 4070, two-thirds the RAM, two-thirds the price. Any computer you would build around them, in total, the total cost would be more effective going with a 4070 over a 4060 Ti 8 gigabyte. And the 4070 itself did little for the GPU market. Then, when also compared to new RDNA 2 or used 3070 cards, there is no argument for the 4060 series. You can get a 4060 Ti 16GB for 500, or you can get 50 per, it's more like 30% more performance and the same VRAM with the RX 6800 XT. If you're troubled by the fact that the 6800 XT uses more power, let's be honest, it has a huge die. You can underclock it by 20% and retain almost 90% of the performance, which would still beat the 4060 Ti while having the same amount of power consumption. And you'd have a nicer cooler too that would be completely silent. I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but obviously NVIDIA does not understand yet. And that's a good point actually with the 6800 XT. You can undervolt it and make it like a 180 watt card anyways, if you want to, and it'll still beat the 4060 Ti. Yeah, it, 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 the 4060 Ti with like 16 gigs of RAM, that's the problem, is if they would have actually done honest pricing, like we're giving you four more gigs of RAM and we're just charging you for the four extra gigs, plus a, a little premium, I guess, because why would they pr produce it if they weren't making slightly more money? Uh, but at $100 more than the 8 gigabyte model, it's like, well, this is just a worse 6800 that uses slightly less power. Uh, yeah. there, there's just no reason to get the 4060 Ti 16 gig. And 8 gig has all the issues that we've been harping on with 8 gigs for like two months now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't have a lot to say about this. You know, um, obviously NVIDIA went to the minimum they were considering going to, but anyone who thinks they're being aggressive, guys, the 4060 Ti is using a die less than half as big as what the 3060 Ti used. And we know from their earnings, they were making a killing on the 3060 Ti that entire generation. Mm -hmm. No, their margins are better than before. And it uses less energy, cheaper coolers. I'm sorry, like this is, it's ridiculous. This, these, are, these are not low enough. And I guess we'll see, you know, what happens. But let us move on to another fun 8 gigabyte graphics card that everyone's probably going to dunk on. With story number seven, RX 7600 8 gigabyte pricing update. And so, you know, before I read this write up and put these quotes on screen, I just want to be clear. I said at the beginning, going on vacation this weekend, 
We recorded this extra early. If something drops Friday that makes this age a little bad, I don't think that's going to happen, actually. But just remember, we recorded this the evening of May 18th, guys, okay? Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, on Tuesday, this channel leaked details about both 4060 series and 7600 series pricing. And while the 4060 information is now officially confirmed before we started recording this episode, despite the naysayers oddly doubting that NVIDIA would actually sell a 107 card for $300, AMD still, to this minute of the recording, has yet to officially confirm RX 7600 well, really anything officially, despite <laughs> pictures of it on shelves leaking and GPU seven, uh, GPU Z screenshots leaking today as well. So what is going on? Well, maybe when this podcast comes out, Andy will already confirm some stuff that makes this conversation feel insta outdated. But at least as of this evening, the reality is, and I'm going to put these quotes on screen, or Gerard is going to put these quotes on screen in editing. It seems like AMD has been caught off guard here. I want to read a quote from someone at AMD. This person goes. Yeah, I'll admit it now. We initially communicated $329 to partners to mess with NVIDIA, which, of course, I said that on the Hardware and Box episode, guys. It was always a placeholder, though, and we always intended to drop the price a bit if we needed to. But honestly, $299 for the 4060 has caught us off guard. We never believed they would go lower than $329, the MSRP of the 3060, or the official MSRP of the 3060, and we don't want to go below $299 either. So... All I can confirm today to you is 299 is still the plan, and we want AIB models to be $300 as well. So they're going to try to do pricing control, but also don't expect AIBs to go below that unless there's an official price drop. And if we decide to drop it further, well, just know it really was last minute. And then other people I talked to, someone at an AIB says, no matter what AMD claims, we think they can afford to go to 270 and then I have multiple people at retailers saying, look, we know that there's documentation floating around that this is supposed to launch a week from now, but they haven't briefed us yet. So AMD <laughs> is holding their cards close to their chest for the last minute here. And so there you go. Remember that AMD's RX 7600 8GB should offer performance around an RX 6710 gigabyte that you can currently buy for 280 and while that does make it likely performance competitive with the 4060, I have to say the 4060 will consume substantially less energy than the 7600 due to the 4060 using a 4 nanometer node, while Navi 33 uses a 6 nanometer node. And the 4060 should offer better ray tracing and a handful of titles that aren't ruined by 8 gigabytes. So also note that I also leaked that, at least from what I am told, the iteration of Navi, the iteration of RDNA 3 and Navi 33 has worse ray tracing performance per compute unit than Navi 31 and Navi 32. So at the end of the day, look, the entire point of AMD going with 6 nanometer for Navi 33 was so they could undercut NVIDIA and not have supply constraints. If AMD blinks and does not price their card lower than the clearly more expensive to make 4060, I think they made this card inefficient for absolutely no reason, and I'm it's going to be ridiculous. So... That's my final updates on ARC 76 price, 600 pricing before I go on vacation. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, if they release a 7600 with 8 gigabytes, that's 10% stronger or something even than like a 6700. Which, let's be clear, as far as we can tell, the 4060 will be like 10 to 20% better than the 3060. And this is supposed to be 10%-ish better than a 6650 at XT, 
Well, 6650 XT is like 10% better than a 3060. So yeah, we're looking at something that's like 10 to 20% better than a 4060. At raster, not ray tracing. Yeah, at this point, it's just like... I, I, it's hard for me to say. I, I, I think you're right. 4060 makes more sense to get. These are both dud cards, though. I'm just going to recommend the 6700 anyways. But Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, what I was going to say comparing it to the 4060 was... So, I mean, not the four, comparing it to the 6700 is if AMD releases a card that's slightly stronger than a card they have right now for with two gigs less RAM for 20 more dollars than what you can currently get that card for. Well, they've just released a card that that they get, it can't even justify its own existence. The 6700 is obviously the better option, so I don't know why they're putting this out unless they can put it out for like frankly 250 dollars um versus the 6700 <laughs> well so maverick writes in and says do you think the 4060 priced at 299 will push amd to price the 7608 and 16 gigabyte more competitively now and then Kerry no sugata just writes in and goes what do you think's more likely amd releasing the 7600 at 300 or to be dropped to 270 after bad reviews a month later or for amd to release the 7600 at 270 with high demand after good reviews pushing it to 300 briefly. Which one do you think AMD is going to decide to do? Dan, I'm asking you, because we don't know. I think the smart thing would be obviously to release it for 270, but I who knows what dumb marketing decision they're going to make. You know, because from from what I can tell, am I wrong on this? The 4060 and the, the uh, 7600 are going to be basically the same level of raster performance. A little, the, the, for, uh, eh, 7600 will be a little better but not significantly. i think there's a chance it could be 20 percent better but okay i think that's best case scenario and it's if probably it, more like five to 15 percent. if it's 20 percent better i think it has a case against the 4060 for which you should buy although once again i still just think you should get the 6700 uh versus both of them but if it's like five percent better the the 4060 is obviously a better choice. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to be honest. I don't. I don't no. think there is a case because in 4K, FSR looks about as good as DLSS. In 1440p and 1080p, it doesn't. And these are both 8 gigabyte cards. Guys, the limiting factor is 8 gigabytes at this point, not 10, 20% raster. And NVIDIA can use DLSS, which does reduce VRAM usage. AMD can't. And NVIDIA's doesn't look like shit in 1080p. So... I'm sorry. I think because of DLSS, not ray tracing, because of DLSS, for sure, I would pay, I take the 10% performance loss for the 4060, especially when you consider it's like a 100 watt card instead of a 170, 180 watt card, which look, I know we're splitting hairs here with power usage a little bit, but yeah, but we're splitting hairs. They're the same price, same amount of RAM. Uh, one of them uses less energy. One of them has DLSS and the other doesn't. I think that makes up for the 10% performance difference. Ten, No, 10%, I definitely agree. If Even 20, I think. 20, uh, 20, I, 20%, honestly, what I want to see is what that really looks like in reviews. Because I think putting the numbers into perspective makes you understand what that performance difference means. And I, I agree. I, I think there's a premium that DLSS, that DLSS makes a card intrinsically a little bit more valuable from NVIDIA because it has better software features than AMD. 
And I guess this is the test of how much value does DLSS offer you over AMD, uh, over what AMD has right now. Uh, because all else being equal, they're pretty much the same card. <laughs> it's like, well, is this 20% is a 20% raster performance worth it to not have DLSS? Or is a 10% worth it uh, to not have DLSS? Is 5% raster benefit worth it to not have DLSS? Uh, and I guess that's what we're going to see play out when this comes out, what people pick. I suspect people will pick NVIDIA. But, but Yeah, well, I mean, it's very damning that in my 4070 benchmarks, Dan, uh, the 3050 is selling for more than the 6700 on average. So I think that's going to tell you which one's going to sell better right there, by the way, um, if they're the same price. But what I would say, too, is we're not talking about $2,000 4K, 8K almost even cards right now. We're talking about 8 gigabyte cards. They're going to need to use DLSS and FSR mm-hmm. to run medium settings without filling up the VRAM buffer in all new AAA releases. So this isn't like, do you think this, this? Guys, if you're buying these cards, you're going to have to use FSR and DLSS. Wake up. I'm just telling you. So if you need to, which one looks better? And and I'm thinking now, there'll be people that go, but Tom, you like the 7600 MXT in laptops. Yeah, because the NVIDIA laptops were two grand and the AMD ones were 1200 True. They weren't the same <laughs> price. But if they're the same price, of course I'm going to recommend the 4060 laptop over the 7600 MXT laptop. Duh! Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, these, these are just going to be twin duds. And I think, I almost think we're we're splitting hairs over two farts. So, <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> I don't oh, really know what fart to say. smells because, less bad. I, I, I don't really know what to say because I think like at the end of the day, uh, I just, somebody have, having this conversation to just stop and say, just buy a 6,700 over both of these. Yeah. Well, and you know, the final thing I would say is this, AMD just needs to decide where it's, look, you should have launched this a year ago, man, or something like like that. And if you couldn't, then you maybe should have reconsidered what you're doing with it. Maybe it should be laptop only because if you launch this at three hundred dollars, there's other options on the market that are better. There's used thirty seventies for three hundred, used twenty uh, thirty sixties, twelve gigabytes for like two eighty. There's new sixty seven hundred ten gigabytes for two eighty. You got you know tons of other last gen cards with the same performance or more RAM or the same amount of RAM for less or more. So before we even talk about comparing it to the 4060, this is a problematic product to release to get good reviews with. So I think you just take the L on margins, even though I'm sure your margins are still good there. And I just think they have to do it. I would almost say they have to make it 250, to be honest. But I would understand why they don't want to do that. Um, I think they have to go to 270 um, or honestly 259 would look good because that kind of sounds like 250. I'd say go to 259 AMD. Just take it, you know, you would undercut NVIDIA. I think people would save $40 and get another eight gigabyte card. I think they probably would if you had enough volume. And then you got to launch a 16 gigabyte version for 330. If you do that, you know, I think you're going to take it because like, look at what what that would mean. Who's going to choose a $300 card uh, over like a, $260 $260 card that's weaker. Uh, I know it has DLSS, but I think that's just that's that 30% margin we've talked about where it's like, I think Amy needs a 30% win overall 
to really have people consider them over NVIDIA because of the software advantages NVIDIA has. 10% better performance, 20% lower cost, about that's when they'll choose it. And then if you give it a 16 gigabyte version for 330, everyone will choose that. No one's paying $400 for a card that, let's be honest, is 20% stronger than AMD's card for 20% more with half the RAM. No one. Yeah. So it's up to you, AMD. Like, uh, Carrie, which one do I think they're going to go with? I kind of sounds like they're leaning towards 300, to be honest, right now behind the scenes. But the fact that they haven't told partners anything yet tells me they could very likely be willing to go hardball on this. They just didn't expect it to go this hardball. But, you know, I talked to people at NVIDIA, too, and they're like, we're not going to let AMD win on the 60. Are you kidding me? This needs to sell well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think we should move on, though. I think that's yeah. pretty much all we have to say about the farts. Um. Sons writes in and he asks, with chiplet GPUs and new GDDR6W that can fit two VRAM modules in roughly the same PCB space as a single GDDR6 module, could we see the return of 512-bit or more GPUs? Yeah, maybe. I don't see why not. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't really have anything else to say to, besides that, though. I, I think we're prob- we might be seeing some HBM GPUs, honestly, next gen, too, though. By the way, wink. Uh, I don't know whatever man writes in and says, Hi, Tom and Dan. Tom, given Navi 31 didn't quite meet the initial hype of doubling 6900 XT performance, well, not initial. My early Navi 31 stuff said 40% better, at least 40% better, likely 50% better plus, and it ended up 50% better than a 6900 XT. So technically... There there, there was hype around it doubling performance because, I I mean, if... Sure, hype, not confirmation. If AMD doesn't go to the moon every generation, how will we be disappointed when they don't do it every generation? Well, and you had people, you know, I mean, if you be, if we're being honest, I was off 20% from the lower estimates. But yeah, there were people saying they were in a quadruple performance, and there always are, and they're always wrong. And yeah, people still click on their videos for some fucking reason. So I don't know. I, I, I guess we'll agree. The hype did not live up to, and that, I guess, was the hype. Um, because, but RDNA four seemingly has fixed the issue based on what you've told us, holding back top RDNA three. So anyways, if RDNA four has fixed its issues and you haven't changed your projections of how much better that was going to be than the original RDNA three projections, how big of a generational update is RDNA four going to be over RDNA three? Is it going to be bigger, relatively speaking than expected? Also, is Amy going to release any VCash GPs this gen or is it just not in the cards right now? I don't know if pun is intended. He didn't say, but, um, yeah, I think RDNA 4 is going to feel like a bigger update than RDNA 3 was. I do. Like, I always said 50 to 100% for both. Um, or fi- I think I said, I think I said like 40, like 50 to 120%. So in other words, bigger than the typical update for both of them. But RDNA 3 basically feels more like a typical update. I think RDNA 4 fixes that and still goes for the moon at least a little bit. Yeah, I think it's, it's going to feel like I, you know... Something going wrong once doesn't mean you should overcorrect your projections for other stuff. That just means that one went wrong. Yeah, I think RDNA 4 could double performance and feel like a much bigger deal. Well, if RDNA 4 doesn't pan out um, in the same well, way... They're already that, behind, yeah. That'd be a bad thing. the same way that RDNA 3 didn't, I think the, you start to have to come to the conclusion that, well, AMD's definitely resurgent in CPU, but... And maybe they are not as much in the, the GPU space. Like they got to enthusiasts here for one gener- two generations and then they fell off again. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, for, and for the Vcash stuff, I don't know. I don't hear any evidence that's coming out right now. So I just wouldn't bet on it yet. 
you know, if I know it's coming out, you can bet I think that video would get clicks and it would have been out by now. So, um, but anyways, let us now move on to the wrap up quickly. We kind of got to wrap this up soon, but let's try to power through these quickly. So this was funny, Dan. NVIDIA spends a million dollars on security for Jensen Wang, a 756% increase in 2023 from the previous year. And I did look into this. Yeah, he's got like armed guards and stuff around him at all times. He is very rich. <laughs> uh, now, I know you started watching this show that I've been telling you to watch for a while, uh, The Other Two. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this is a show on HBO. The main character starts kind of as a Justin Bieber-like character who blows up. Then the, his mom blows up as an Oprah-type character um, uh, played by Molly Shannon. Uh, and then the, the the other two are the kids that aren't as successful. It's a funny show. So, Dan, later in, like, the second season, she, like, becomes a billionaire. And half of the scenes, there's just, like, these Ukrainian, <laughs> Russian, and Israeli guards around her. And she has to hold up mirrors to see her family over them. <laughs> And like, there's tons of jokes about how much effort goes into that. But the fact is, if she's making a network billions of dollars a year, she's an asset. And mm-hmm. I don't know if I think this is, I can't comment on if this is worth it, but if he's a billionaire and they think he's essential, and everyone I've talked to at NVIDIA thinks this person's more important than Pat or Lisa to the company, respectively speaking. I mean, I guess, yeah, you don't want your golden goose to get shot or something. So well, and you have I to think can believe about it. it. So... A million dollars, a million dollars uh, goes away pretty quickly. Like when you're actually trying to think about like paying wages. So a million dollars a year for his security or it it is a year. There were details. Yeah. I mean, if you're even talking about like 10 guards and a few trucks and yeah, that that's like probably 10, 10, maybe 15 guards a year. So I, I, when phrasing those numbers, it's like, I don't know if that's unreasonable for him to have that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but I thought that was definitely worth mentioning. That was interesting. <laughs> um, also, AMD confirms hybrid cores. I think it was Mark Papermaster in an interview said, yep, upcoming products will have two types of cores. And he seemed to be talking in reference to APUs. So there you go. Again, more confirmation of Strix point there. Um, Asus updated their warranty policy for their motherboards. Surprise, they were pushed to do that. We already kind of covered that. More expectations for the PlayStation 5 Pro next year. I don't know if you have anything to say about this, but it is interesting. I'm, I am more hearing behind the scenes more and more every day and in the headlines like them like, it's coming. So it seems yeah. like there probably will be a PS5 Pro, but it's kind of coming out half a year to a year late just because of all of the supply chain issues. I do like the, uh, the mock-up, <laughs> the random mock-up some guy had for that's on this uh, TechSpot article. Yeah. But- <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's it's bound to come at some point. Death Stranding is uh, free on Epic Game Store right now. This should come out before the deal's over. So I think Death Stranding is one of the best games I've played in a very long time. I mean, it was one of those games where I didn't expect to like it as much as I did, and I was just addicted to it. It's like in a way that I haven't been since like college or high school that many times. Like this, Elden Ring, and a few other things were like I'm actually thinking about the next time I play it, and like yeah. It's really good. Pick it up for free, guys. Yeah, Death Stranding is a a weird game because it seems to like scratch and that right itch for some people and not do it that much for others. But it's free, I guess. So try it. (laughs) Yeah. And Uh, hopefully that will get a bunch of people that were 
nervous to try it beforehand. I mean, when it first came out to get Death Stranding 2 when it comes out. And finally, Linus steps down as CEO of Linus, whatever the company is called. Group, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, which he clarified, it, 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 he's gonna, still going to be in all the videos, have controlling shares, make a lot of the decisions, but he just won't be the CEO anymore because he just doesn't think it's right. Yeah, I, this I, happens I, a lot. I, I I don't think that's it's a as big of a shakeup as I thought it might be when I first saw that news because he's still going to be there as the face of the company because it would be weird if Linus tech tips uh, became Linus tech tips minus Linus. But well, he does say that apparently his media group was offered a hundred million dollars for a buyout for the brand and they turned it down because they want to keep doing things the way they're doing them. And I'm, I'm glad they did. I mean, obviously that when you're as big of a channel as them, you've had, we've had like, issues with some of their stuff in the past but generally speaking we tend to quote them a decent amount because they do good work i think linus tech tips generally does really good work uh they haven't compromised by getting bigger really compared to how much they could have and how much i've seen some channels and if an outside group had bought them i imagine they would completely destroy it hey they can buy us i'll give you a hundred i'll take a hundred million dollars you guys want more slides dead not not knocking the channel. I don't think we're worth a hundred million dollars, Tom. They're fighting words right there. <laughs> and you know, there'd be some who's more Tom confirms he's a shill. For a hundred million dollars, yeah. Like, wouldn't you trust me less if I said I wouldn't? Like, I didn't say I'd take ten grand to kill this. I said a hundred yeah, I'd take a hundred million. Just I think most people probably would. Yeah. So you know, and if I wouldn't, it's probably because I don't need it and I'm enjoying it and we're making enough money that it wouldn't make a material difference, which I'm pretty sure is what's going on with Linus. That's how successful they are. Um, but yeah, anyways, let us move on to the final reader mails. QH Freddy writes in and says, is Meteor Lake going to be the start of Intel offering platforms and sockets that last more than two generations? Is that going to go for just laptops or also desktop? Um, well, Raptor Lake Refresh should technically be the start of that. Mm-hmm. You know, 12th, 13th, 14th Gen all on LGA 1700. Um, and the video's not out yet, but I wouldn't bet on the Meteor Lake being the start of a whole lot on desktop, QH Freddy. <laughs> oh, Sad. I think what I'm alluding to will surprise nobody if you've been paying attention to my coverage of Meteor Lake. QH Freddy also writes in again, I guess, and says, Will the stagnation in GPU value hurt the sales of newer and more demanding games? Um, That's an interesting question, Dan. What do you think? Like the GPU value is such shit right now. Like, do you think that's going to hurt PC game sales? Hmm. I, I mean, there's always a chance that it will. Like, uh, all, all of the these markets are like co- versus console are competing with each other to some extent. And yeah, I, I don't doubt the f- fact that PC value being awful right now is going to drive some people towards console. I, so I guess the way I'm saying what I'm saying is I don't know if it's going to hurt overall or sales. wait to buy some of the newer games until the better stuff comes out for the price that they're willing to pay. Yeah, so I, I I don't know. I guess if it's going to affect sales that much, but if nobody's buying PCs anymore, GPUs anymore, and a bunch of games need eight gigs of RAM, eh, yeah, some people might say eh, I I'm not going to buy that new game that requires eight gigs of RAM. Although I think I, you should put requires in quotes because if you knock down some settings you can play it with eight gigs of ram oh that's absolutely worth pointing out i keep and i saw someone in the comments youtube comments today which i didn't respond to but he's like 
Are you really demanding that devs ruin the experience for eight gigabyte gamers? And uh, what I would have responded if I had time to respond to every mouth-breathing comment is, um, guys, no. I'm saying, though, I want games to be able to use new features. 8-gigabyte cards are going to run games for the next five years at low settings with DLSS turned on. That's what they're going to do. It's just like some people have been priced out of being able to be enthusiasts or high-end gamers, and they're mad about it. And I understand that it's disappointing from like a PC hardware perspective how little value we're getting right now. And it is. But it's yeah. just like you can accept that you're not, I don't know, uh, uh, an enthusiast here gamer anymore because you in the early 2010s, you could do that with a PC for, for like fucking fourteen hundred dollars. Yeah. And now, and now, you, now it's like three grand. Yeah. Yeah. Now fourteen hundred dollar PC is mid range. Sorry. <laughs> like and that and, and, and that's like but uh, that doesn't mean I want games to not look better. And if you want this to improve, just keep not buying them. They're getting down there. I mean. By the end of summer, it wouldn't surprise me if the seven if there were some deals for the seventy nine hundred XT for seven hundred. And at that point, you're looking at a twenty gigabyte card that beats last gen flagships by like ten twenty to twenty percent for seven hundred bucks. We did it. It's done. You know, we we solved it a little bit there, and prices will keep going down for all the other ones if you don't buy them. But in the meantime, I don't want devs to compromise games because of that, especially when there's tons of half of like a, a substantial amount of PC gamers, not half, can still play them. And all the consoles still can, you know. So, I mean, it's it's an awkward period fueled by greed and teething pains. And I don't think the fact that NVIDIA was stupid with VRAM capacities should make it so that games that will play for the next five to ten years look and run like crap or don't have new features. Yeah. Um, suspicious white man writes in and he says, I recently rewatched a video made by Linus Tech Tips about asynchronous reprojection. When implemented well, it can make games running at 30 FPS feel like 240 FPS to some people due to how much smoother the movement feels. What are your thoughts about this technology? Could AMD add this feature into FSR 3 and do you think this is something they should look into? Yes. I bet it's something NVIDIA is already looking into. Uh, I will say though that's a little misleading. It seemed to be a bit of a mixed bag how good it felt depending on the person. But it did seem to overall weirdly add a smoothness feeling that people weren't expecting to be able to get at 30 frames. Yes. So essentially the way it like works is it's I, I maybe I'll send the video to you. I thought uh, some YouTuber with like a tiny following did a good job demonstrating exactly how it works. And essentially it's just. Uh, preserving motion without rendering new information. So if uh, it inserts a frame that looks really messed up uh, when the GPU hasn't rendered a frame yet. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I I mean, that preserves the feeling of motion you get, but it it is producing, uh, throwing in a really fucked up looking frame into the the pipeline. Like if, if you were mad about DLSS, yeah, uh, uh, frame quality. This is a lot worse. <laughs> well, you know, and from what I remember from the Linus Tech Tips video that I did watch, suspicious white man, we have our eye on you, by the way. Um, like from from what I could tell, though, they kind of hand waved things away of like, and they think they can get the artifacts down. We all think a lot of things until you do it. I don't believe you. Yeah. It, it- based on my understanding of how it works, I don't know how you really could get the artifacts down because it's kind of a technology design around. 
yeah, we're just throwing artifacts into a frame, but you still get a frame. So it looks, so you're get you're preserving the, the movement of your character. So it looks like you're moving, uh, but it doesn't pause. You don't get like that input feeling of input lag because there's still a frame there. Even mm-hmm. if that frame looks like nothing. <laughs> All righty. So one more reader mail here. Root Knight writes in, Considering how absolutely brilliant the Nintendo Switch is in its simplicity and how easy it would be for them to just, frankly, update the hardware's performance and call it next-gen and call it a day, in what way could Nintendo possibly manage to flop with their next iteration? What, in your opinion, would it take to pull out a Wii U moment? What do you think, Dan? I, I don't think this will happen, but the outside chance thing is they do the Nintendo thing and they're like, well, we need to, we need to have a new gimmick and the new gimmick sucks. And uh, the switches remains better. I don't know what that would be at this point, because Mm -hmm. I think any executive at Nintendo is smart enough to think like, okay, guys, we stumbled across a really good formula here for a console, but uh, Nintendo really hates making a console. That's iterative of its last console. So yeah, they they hate it. Yeah, I mean, the gimmick, you know, that NX Gamer came up with was what if they had a VR add-on? What if, because it's handheld, it slots into a thing and it does VR? That would be really cool. If they did it right and priced it right. Yeah, obviously. I, I mean, and Of course, yeah, there's been rumors about some Steam Deck that there's rumors from, uh, sadly, it's Bradley, who I hope to get on the podcast later this year again. I just have to remind myself to reach out to him soon. Um, he's talking about like in the, there's these files in a lot of valve stuff that's leaked that suggests they're already experimenting with steam OS on VR devices. Hmm. And it's like, Oh, so you almost wonder if they're going to have a steam deck two in a year or two. And the steam deck twos SOC is also used for a, you know, Oculus, uh, or not, Oc- uh, quest competitor. Um, you wonder, yeah. you know, and maybe if Nintendo could do that first with Nintendo stuff, an interesting idea the problem i would have is so wait this is a handheld device vr device home console device they did it with the switch the snap-on joy me's were cool they're gonna have to think really hard about how they do all of that while still having their games not become stupid which is the problem the wii u had of like hey you know how you were looking at this big screen in front of you now you gotta fucking look at this tablet for some stupid mini game you know that yeah. avoiding that might be a little tricky, but it's an interesting idea. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think it, you can clearly see it, despite how Nintendo clearly usually makes their consoles. You can see the connective tissue between the Wii U and the switch. It's just the switch is such a more intelligently designed console than the Wii U and they have to make a switch too. Uh, but if they figure out how to make the gimmick be like some functional form of VR, that would be pretty cool. Yeah. So that's the gimmick I could see take a lot of work, but I don't think they do it haphazardly like, well, they did with the Wii U. So we'll just have to see. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a little bit with the 3ds as well. Oh yeah. There's more evidence. They'd probably, they probably had this idea for a while actually. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thought by the NX, by the next gamer. Check out that episode people. But, um, otherwise, you know, maybe making it too weak. And I don't think it would be like, again, I'm not stupid. I understand NVIDIA, uh, in, Intel. Yeah. 
Nintendo's business model, <laughs> understand why their consoles are weaker. But if they did something silly like it's, you know, a 512 CUDA core Ampere chip, you know, like only it still can't run any game. You know, we're, we treaded, we didn't even tread water. We went underwater and then only kicked up twice. Like, and then they tried to charge more than a, like a Steam Deck for it. That type of miscalculation, I could see people not stop buying Nintendo stuff, just not go get that. And that's yeah. basically what happened with the 3DS. The 3DS sold well eventually after price cuts, feature cuts, all this stuff. The problem wasn't the 3DS was a horrible design itself. The problem was they miscalculated if people cared. And so that's what I would just yeah. say. That's the only other thing I could see them fucking up is if they're just like, well, you know, we made something four times stronger when we really should have it 10 times stronger. Uh, we only gave it eight gigs of RAM, not 16. And uh, what if it was six? And uh, we're going to, for some reason, charge more than a Steam Deck. And then people go, well, I'm going to keep using my Switch and I'm just not going to buy this. Uh, that type of mixed calculation, I think, could cost them. Yeah, and I think that's a more realistic thing that they that would, they would fumble. Um, but if they nailed VR on it, well, I don't know. I think it need to be stronger than that though for it to work. Yeah. All right. So that's gonna do it for this early release episode. I want to thank everybody for listening. Remember, subscribe to the Moore's Law is Dead YouTube channel. Ring the bell button. Tell your friends about us. If you have extra money, two dollars a month. The, you know, we just had a die shrink come out a day before a 45 minute video going over a host of subjects like SMT4 stuff that AMD and Intel are working on and RDNA four coolers and a, a bunch of different, like the, all of this stuff. It is a videos, extra content. there only for patrons. And of course you get early ad free access to broken Silicon at like a $4 tier. It's, it's not even five guys. This is less than a cup of coffee, you know, yeah. come on. The, the more patrons we get, the more we'll be able to be like Linus Tech Tips and say we're not taking the buyout. So just remember yeah. that. But um, all right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Have a good weekend, everybody. Goodbye. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Laws Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, it's not just me. Moore's Laws Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, renders being done by the industrial designer Jean-Philippe Clermont, and special assistance is also provided by Carmen Cry and Carrie Nosugad as well. Find all of our information at www.moreslawsdead.com on the about slash support page in the event you do want to hire me for consulting work, hire Gerard for audio work, hire Jean-Philippe for industrial design work, or you're interested in working with Carbon Cry or Kerry No Sugata as well. You can also find our long-term sponsors on that page if you want to show them some love for putting food on our tables. Or you can also mail us some love. You can send letters or hardware donations to the following address. Moore's Law is Dead, PO Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. Although, to be honest, the best way to show Moore's Laws Dead some love is to support us on Patreon. Patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content truly 
possible. Every month and really every day, depending on who you're talking about, me, Gerard, Dan, and John Philippe are working tirelessly to provide a steady stream of content that we could not keep doing unless we knew the work was possible without being reliant on sponsors dictating every little thing we put out. Don't get us wrong. We love our sponsors, but we love directly working for you, our fans, much more. If you have any extra money, even a couple free dollars a month, consider supporting us directly on Patreon. Those couple of monthly dollars will get you access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to ask guests questions, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord full of like-minded people who I am sure would love to meet you. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to early, ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the ability to ask questions in all Broken Silicon episodes and loose ends live streams ahead of the recording, and the entire back catalog of Moore's Law is Dead podcasts, in addition to having thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts depending on the tier with other perks available as well. And hey... If you cannot afford to support us directly every month, please do share Moore's Law is Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family and on social media and websites like Reddit. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast app of choice. All of this does really help us so much. But like I said, this podcast would not be possible without it, the patrons directly providing predictable and reliable support every month. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher supported levels. Brad Medlin, Drita Full, Z Chitz, Daniel D, Aaron Close, Jan Runner, Daniel Hyde, Brian Riggleman, Sam Miller, AIMJV1, Deke. Jeezy Ziggy, SNES Chalmers, Jerem Ferreira, Andrew S., Falcom Alev, General Drips, Jensen Wang, Nathan Mose, Eric Jackson, Sarcastro, Evan Dingle, Jay Guantek, Chris Rich, Nicholas Buckner, Benjamin Cannon, Jonathan, Jesse Jeskowiak, 3DS Boy 08, Albuma, Blake, HardForum.com, Franco Frederick, Shredbird, Dr. Forbin, Jake Dude 23, Jake Martin, Zlicky, Rick Tan, Christopher A. Butler, Christopher Stefan Hart, Meat and Pork, Stu, Tim Robb, Ian Clifford, Travis Gooding, Nanian, Sammy Malas, Deepest Learners, Mad, Zutsu Taylor, Stephen Coates, Michael McGee, Greg, Patrick Rose, Stefan, Jordan Simkovic, Amiable Chief, Aaron, Tommy, Mark Mitchell, Julian Leak, I Should, Mark Raidmaker, The Boss Haas, James Anderson, Cole Addict, Judson N, Cameron, Wesley Sager, Henry Zhang, Michelle Powell, D31337 Antics, Roger Davies, Cameron, Hexapuma, Chrysantine, Meyer Techrance, Reginald Ari, Teak Autumn, Jackson Miller, Frank Zielinski, Neithra Zink, The Eternal Dreamers, JSMMH, Gaiman Since Reagan, Jeff Sedler, AWS Danny, Loophole 35, Winstar, James I. Raider, Corey Leonard, Little Germany, Shay, Milton, Post Media, Dave Schultz, Mac Daffy, R or RNDR, Stephen Dick, Chuck Glidden, Brett Jones, Austin Haggerty, Justin Bustle, I7-11700K, Joe Foot Hardlin, Slushboss C2, Jansen Angima, Joseph Kelly, Samuel Park, Keith Moore, Himsagun, Tails2299, Stephen Santiago, John Sifos, Earth Taurus, The F Forbidden Juice, Venti Cizzi, Kiko Sato, Toka, RB Racer, Sven, There Jensen, AC, Clint Sundin, Ben, Michael Cozy, Dr. J. Matt, Alex Vega, Freedy, John Swin, Rodent VC, Joey Strong, Brian Wright, Tim 1K, Joe LaMartina, Kikum, Eldergun, Solarized 80, Christopher Ricks, and of course, thank you to Zahara for the music. <laughs>